You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and I'm wondering if this sentence resonates with you and your workplace. Activity, but no progress. Meetings with no follow-up. Confused responsibilities. Impossible demands and poor engagement. I know a bunch of you are saying, yep, that's what's going on where I work. And the root cause of these painfully common, predictable, and repeated organizational maladies, well, according to my guest in this episode, it's a lack of accountability. Dr. Paige Williams is an author, researcher, and PhD in organizational behavior. She believes that we are in the midst of an epidemic of underperformance. And a lack of accountability is the root cause. But don't worry, there's a few powerful actions we can all take to address it. And you guessed it, she's here to tell us all about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Paige Williams. Dr. Paige Williams, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Look, pleasure to have you, Paige. Now, someone of your qualifications, your education, your experience across businesses, the work that you do, why is it that you focused, of all the possibilities, you focused on this accountability? You've just written a fabulous new book called Own It, Honoring and Amplifying Accountability. Why did you hone your, your immense intellect and experience on this one thing? That's such a fabulous question to kick us off, Dave. So, and that's one of the, that's the one question I didn't send you to. You, <laughs> it's the one that pulls at my heartstrings most, though. <laughs> so, a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I, I will say that I wrote a book called "Becoming Anti-Fragile." Now, the premise of anti-fragility is that we improve through our experiences of disruption and uncertainty, which, let's face it, given the last few years we've just had, is pretty useful for us all to understand how we can do that. But in order to do that, we first have to remove what's making and keeping us fragile. Because if unless we do that kind of removal of fragility first, there's always going to be a ceiling of anti-fragility that we can reach. And so I was deeply embedded in fragile and anti-fragile and resilience. And as I reflected on that research and that work, and as you say, my experience being a senior leader, but also as a as an academic and now working alongside CEOs and senior leadership teams, the theme that I see in what keeps individuals, teams, and organizations most fragile are issues with accountability. So I almost feel like I wrote the prequel to becoming <laughs> anti-fragile in Own It. <laughs> because very Star until Wars. <laughs> yeah, very Star Wars. And I'm not a fan of Star Wars, so <laughs> it was um, ironic as I realized, oh, okay, that's what I'm doing here because – Really, until we've got accountability in place, anything that we're putting our focus, our attention, our human resources, our financial resources is going to be less effective whilst we're grappling with issues of accountability. So I've come to the point where I go, before you do anything else, whether it's anti-fragility, whether it's a health and fitness program, whether it's a transformational change program or whether it's discussions around how are we going to do this return to work and flexible work practices, get your accountability conversations in place first. 
There's a sentence floating around. I think it's in the blurb of your book and it's on your one pager that I was sent. And it's this sentence that grabbed my attention. You probably know what it is. Accountability, but no progress. Meetings with no follow-up, confused responsibility, impossible demands, and poor engagement. Is there any audience you've ever spoken to that doesn't stick their hand up and say, yes, that, that is us. That is us in this industry, in this organization. Absolutely. I mean, every one of those, there's a, a recognition and a familiarity to them, whether I'm speaking with senior leaders or whether I'm speaking with team members, because there's frustration on both sides of this in terms of accountability issues. And that's because but we are all both sides of the accountability fence, if you like. So we are often being asked to be accountable for, to de- for deliverables, for KPIs, but also we have expectations of others. We ask accountability of others, whether that's formally or informally. And so that frustration is pervasive and the underperformance that comes along with that is equally pervasive across all industries, across government, across education, because what we're dealing with here is a deeply human factor. It's something that we all have in common because we are all deeply flawed, deeply human and wonderfully perfect. I was going to say, speak for yourself, Paige. I'm not deeply flawed. I'm that last one, wonderfully perfect. Hey, I, I love that line because it appeals to everybody. Everyone feels that way at some time or another about their organization. Now, I've got to be very disciplined here and not jump to the question I want to ask because I've got to ask this next question first. Okay. What does it look like in our organization when we have an accountability problem in our team or across the organization more generally? What sort of things are we seeing? And is it possible for us to misdiagnose them as other things? Help me out with that. So, well, and and this is the thing is that um, accountability is so deeply embedded in the way that we operate as social groups that we often misdiagnose. So, I mean, you've named some of them. If you've got meetings where there's no, there's actions put down on a piece of paper, but no follow through. So that it's kind of a great talk fest, but no action comes out of it. Or we're really busy. There's lots of busyness. But actually, we're not hitting the milestones. We're not making meaningful progress. Another flavor of accountability issues can be where there's lots of finger pointing at everyone else. You know, nothing sticks because everyone's blaming someone else. It's someone else in the system. It's someone else in the team. It's someone else in the organization. Our team's going really well. It's every other team that's not going very well. Exactly, exactly. There's no smell here. It's everyone else. And then the other side of that is, there's this uh, dynamic where because we have lots of matrix structures in organizations now, there can be almost an invisibility to accountability. And so what you find is particularly at the, the middle manager level is that there are multiple accountabilities being asked of one person. And there's just this, it's impossible that, you know, a superhero, superhuman couldn't do it, but it's invisible because of the matrix structures. So no one's across what's being asked of this one individual other than them, than them themselves, and they're feeling completely overwhelmed by it. And so we've got this kind of multiple, almost like personality disorder around accountability in that it's not just one thing. There are multiple things going on. And the challenge is that the people that are most impacted by it are the people who are actually showing up in their accountability now. And, and this is one of the real risks, particularly for, for leaders right now, is that you know, we've heard lots about the great resignation and, and you know, all of the things around the talent war that's on now. 
And yet actually issues with accountability when we, when we aren't showing up and doing the work that is ours to do as leaders in terms of calling people to account, those people who are engaged, those people who are prepared to take ownership for what's theirs to own, they're the ones that frankly get fed up and leave. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. They're, they're the ones who get fed up and leave. I was going to say you can really stand out in a desolate landscape like that, which I guess you can, but your point is, is probably more apt that they're the ones who leave, especially in the current environment. Hey, hit me rapid fire. What you just talked about there was really sound, conceptual, intellectual stuff. Hit me rapid fire with the stuff I will see on the ground day to day that will give me an inclination that we have an accountability problem. Okay. Lack of time, too many commitments, people blaming others, not actually owning what's theirs to own. There's, there's always an excuse or a reason why things aren't being delivered upon. You feel like you're the only one that's, that's seeing things through and that you're carrying lots of other people. You're being asked too much of. This is on the accountee side of things. Um, or as a leader, you, you know your team could be performing better. You could just can't quite put your finger on it because everyone's saying what they need to be saying, but actually nothing is landing as it needs to be landing. And it's just this feeling of frustration and things not quite falling into place and no one quite knowing why. And I call it the fog of accountability because no one's clear, it's not clean, and nothing's happening as it should be, but no one can quite put their finger on why. Hey, one of the terms or two terms that I was introduced to in your book was accountor and accountee. It, it plays the same way as employer and employee. Exactly. And I'd never read that before. So did you make that up? Because my spell checker certainly doesn't like it when I was typing my notes for this conversation. Is that something that you made up? I and mean, it's pretty logical. It makes sense. No, no. It's actually part of the academic literature around accountability. And it's a, it's a lovely way to discern that we're both, we're both of those roles as we um, move through life and in our work roles as well. But it's good to understand the different ways in which accountability may be frustrating for us, depending on which role we're in, in terms of asking for accountability as an accountor or being asked to deliver on accountability as an accountee. And your parallel with employees is a really great, simple way to think about it. Another concept that I was reminded of in your book was the difference between responsibility and accountability. And we all remember that from the racy model that was all the rage a decade ago, and that's probably where I learned it. You reminded me of it. It's a really important distinction. Can you just make that clear for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Because what this speaks to is um, I identify three issues with accountability that are kind of driving the fog and that I see in organizations and teams all the time right now. And the first one of those, they're three C's. And the first one is confusion. And there are different aspects to the confusion around accountability, but one of them is around language because we use terms like accountability, responsibility, ownership really interchangeably. And what that means is there isn't consistency across an organization. There isn't consistency, perhaps even within the same team about what we even mean when we talk about accountability. And when I, and I take through leader, take leaders and leadership teams through this work, I say, if you take away nothing else from our work together, just take away the difference between accountability, which is the buck stops here. And the example I use is if there is a royal commission into whatever it is your, your team does, you as the leader would be the person in the stand at the royal commission because the buck stops with you. That's the accountability role, the responsibility role. And you're right, this comes direct from the RACI framework, because as I did a review of the literature, the practical nature of RACI was what we needed to cut through the fog. And responsibility, 
as opposed to the buck stops here, responsibility is the work is done here. So this speaks to delegation, right? As a leader, you might be accountable, but you don't do every single task that's associated with an accountability. And so you delegate responsibility for the work to be done. But I take this one step further when I teach it, and that is every time that you delegate responsibility, you have to make clear the accountability that goes with it. So what's the buck stops here for those tasks that you've just delegated responsibility for? Because without that, we're just recreating the fog, but pushing it further and further down in terms of um, the organizational layers. So accountability, buck stops here. Responsibility, the work is done here. And with each layer of responsibility that we delegate, we make the accountabilities clear. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. And that's where the power of leadership is so important because while I'm accountable for a lot of things in this department because I might be a general manager or whatever it may be, as you said, I can't do all of the work. So there are people who work with me who are responsible for those pieces but I am still accountable for them when I head up to my first team meeting. All right, that's really great, really clear. Now, you started talking about the three C's of the fog of accountability. While you're on that, can I get you to finish that? Because I think that is really powerful stuff. Yeah, so we start off with confusion. And you know, I've spoken to this. We're not sure within our own team what accountability means, but equally as a leader or in an organization, Maybe you're really clear on what accountability is and you're happy to follow through on it. But then you look over there and a leader over there just isn't doing it, isn't following through, isn't asking for the same level of accountability. And you look over there and there's something else going on with accountability. So it's driven by the confusion, but what it leads to is a concern and a lack of confidence in actually having the accountability conversations. Because one of our deepest human needs is to feel a sense of connection and belonging. And if we feel like we're the bad guy, we're the one that's actually asking people to be accountable, but no one else is in this organization. So, you know, that's going to push me out of of the tribe. It's going to reduce my sense of safety and belonging. Then we just won't do it because we're not wired for accountability. We're actually wired to avoid accountability. So it's kind of not in our nature to do it. And so if we're not sure that everyone else is doing it and we think there's a risk to our social inclusion, then we simply won't. So we've got confusion that leads to concern and a lack of confidence. And what that means is that as leaders, we don't create a context or a culture for accountability by just normalizing it as part of the way that we do work together every day because we don't have the conversations. We don't role model the accountability. We don't kind of do the the quick follow-up that means that things don't slip and slide over the course of time. So those three C's and they're connected is confusion, which leads to concern and a lack of confidence, which means that as leaders, we don't create a context in which there is a culture of accountability that means that it's just normalized as part of the way that we do work together. Fabulous. That is so clear. I really like that. And and as we were talking before we hit record, three is really easy to remember and we can all take those and carry them around with us. You talked about the difficulty for being that one manager in an organization that starts to hold their team accountable. If the culture around the organization is that there's a lot of cracks you can hide between around here, to be that one leader to do it is really difficult. And that's why it's so important later in this conversation, we get to your nuggets of gold and and answer those questions page. But I, I was thinking that on the other side of that, the other thing is that you talked about 
the fact that it's it's human nature for us to avoid accountability, you know, to find the path of least resistance, of course. So in that same organization where that that manager, the one manager who's awake to it and thinking, geez, I, want, I really want to change it here. But in that same organization, the people around, even new employees are looking around the place and going, well, around here, I mean, the culture, the unwritten ground rule is that no one is really held accountable. So it kind of just piles on top of the culture that already exists. And we know that and, that, and that's part of the nature of workplace cultures and the monkeys in the cage experiment and and Steve Simpson's unwritten ground rules and all of that kind of stuff. It's fascinating. Now, let's start to creep up on the answers to this. But before we get there, this is the question I was avoiding before, Paige, because we had to cover that stuff first. Is it getting worse and why? And I've got a thesis here. I've got a hypothesis for you. I think it's getting worse. And I think one of the reasons, it's I think it's gotten on steroids in the last two years or so. And I think the fact it's not because we're working from home. I think people can be productive at home, but we are hiding behind teams in organizations. And I think it's really easy to make meetings and therefore we feed that problem of lots of meetings and no follow-up. And it's also really easy to sit on a meeting and it has become commonplace and accepted in every organization I've been part of since the pandemic to sit at your computer and look around at multiple screens and clearly be doing other stuff. So there is no one meeting where you ever feel like you're actually having a conversation with everyone who's on the call. I know that the accountability existed, accountability problem existed before COVID, but I reckon it's had a huge shot in the arm through that period. What do you think? I think that it speaks to the fact that accountability is something that requires us to have really clear expectations and boundaries about what's okay and what's not okay. And so what's happened is that our meeting hygiene, which was pretty low before COVID. was already poor. Yeah, has been fully exposed through the online platforms that we use. Dirty and naked now. Absolutely. And we're paying the price for it, right? Because- there's Zoom burnout. We're fatigued. We're not connected. We're not. As, and you say, are we as pro- we're just as productive? Well, I'd question that if we're having such poor hygiene on and t- in meetings. So I think that yes, has it got worse? Possibly because of the way that we've been kind of pushed into working in the last couple of years. But the basic hygiene factors were always an issue. And what's happened is our way of working has exposed them even more. And it comes back to clear expectations, clear boundaries, and then follow up on making sure that they're met on a regular basis. And if they're not having the conversation around why not and, and what we're going to do to resolve that. So if it has been, in, you know, gotten worse through COVID, and I think that's pretty clear, but it was a problem before that because you were doing the ap- academic research and, and began writing your book before that time. What have been the traditional causes of a lack of accountability in an organization? I know there's probably a whole bunch of answers, but if there were archetypes of causes, what would they be? So I think the first thing is that, so there's two two factors that are interrelated. One is that traditionally, up until this point, accountability is something that's been punitive. You know, if I were to say, hey, Dave, let's go have an accountability conversation over lunch, you'd be like, no, thanks. Oh, I'll go geez. pull my teeth out instead. <laughs> you know, it's... The whole idea of accountability has been around too little information, too late, telling people what they've done wrong or how they're not good enough at a time when they can't actually do anything about it. And so the idea of accountability is fundamentally 
that it's something that's used as a punitive measure to point out to people how they are wrong in some way and with very little opportunity for them to be able to resolve or or make that right. And so because of that, because of the way that accountability has been used up until this point, it's not surprising that any thought of an accountability conversation triggers a fight or flight response in us. It means that we don't want to do it, we want to avoid it because we feel it is really a threat, a fundamental threat to our status, to our sense of certainty or control, to our um, social standing in groups. And so although it's a psychological threat, our brains process it as a survival threat, as you've just said. And so those two things, the fact that accountability has been fundamentally punitive until this point, means that uh, the way that we respond to it is at a very basic level, a fight or flight response, uh, because we see all of the social threat that comes along with that. And we just we just don't want to go there. We avoid it like the plague. Now, I'm, I'm very slow on the uptake. You talked about there being two causes. I've only got the fact that accountability has traditionally been punitive. What was the other one that I clearly missed? So, and connected to that is our, our, our natural brain wiring to avoid uh, okay. any threat. And so those two things are interconnected because when we see that it's a punitive measure, we feel threatened by it. And so we move away from it and we avoid having the conversations. You snuck in a bit of neuroscience there. Sure did. Got past my guard. Fantastic. All right. Now, so that's what causes it. What can we do about it as leaders? Let's say I am an ambitious leader or I'm someone who just sees a whole bunch of potential in my team, but I know that the broader culture of the organization is not one of accountability. And I don't want to be that guy or girl who is the one, the one manager holding their people to account because you become a tyrant and no one wants to work for you in an organization like that. How can I turn this ship around in a really healthy way? Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there because it's about how do we do accountability in a really healthy way? How do we turn it around from being something that's a, that's a punishment to something that actually sets us as leaders and sets our people up for success? And that means that rather than it being something that comes after an event, after an expectation has been missed, or a misstep has been made, that we actually use accountability as part of a conversation that sets people up, sets projects up, sets programs and work up for success. And in a very clear way, we have conversations that in which we partner, we create accountability partnerships as leaders with our teams and with our people around, okay, what's this work that we need to get done here? How are we best to do that? When are we going to get it done by? What's your level of commitment and accountability and motivation to doing this work? And we ask the questions in a way that we probably haven't before. We ask them to a level of detail that I know isn't being done in organizations before. And we actually ask in a way that means that the people we're asking for accountability, we're not holding them to account, we're calling them there because we're co-creating something with them that actually means they understand why they're doing this work, what is going to be done, how it affects other people in the organization or stakeholders or customers. And so what the consequences are if they don't deliver on what they're being asked to deliver on. And by setting this up in a fundamentally different way through a very different conversation dynamic and through this process of partnering then we are actually setting accountability up for success and the people involved. That's us as leaders and our team members. All right. So that's a fantastic answer. The answer to the question, how can we turn this ship around and hold people to account in a really healthy way? The answer is set up 
at the beginning like that. So my question is though, can I do that on a task level on a project or a program of work that already exists or do I have to wait till we start a new program? I can't do it at that task level, that every little bit that contributes to the project. What do you suggest there? I say that change starts with a conversation. So if you've already got an accountability um, issue that is live where something's gone off the rails or you can see it's going off the rails, the very next conversation you have, whether that's with an individual or a team, can be about bringing that accountability back on the rails. And part of that, and, and in the book, I have a series of what I call coaching ladders, because these are coaching conversations, right? We're having conversations to coach people towards accountability, to call them to account, which is why it's a partnership. We're not just in there telling them, we're not doing accountability to them. We're not doing their accountability for them. We are partnering with them in helping them achieve their accountability expectations. And so, you know, if we need to redirect something that's gone off the rails, then the way that we frame up that conversation starts with a, right, so where are we at? You know, and that's about really facing what might be an ugly truth about where things are in relation to where they needed to be or were expected to be at this point. And through the coaching um, ladders in the book, I, I, I give some frameworks as to, okay, how do we, even in this framing up section of the conversation, actually start to encourage some personal ownership, ask questions like, well, what was your role in this? How did you help or hinder where we've got to right now? Um, you know, what what might you do differently if you had the last three, four weeks, whatever the appropriate time frame is, over again? So that even as we're talking about a start point for the next phase of accountability, there's personal ownership being asked for. And then once we've got to that landing point of going, all right, this is where we're at. It's not ideal. It might not be where we want to be. How do we move forward from here? And, it, and it's questions then around. So what might we do differently from now on in order to create um, more opportunity for success? What role are you going to play in that? What time frame are you going to deliver that in? What milestones are we going to agree on? And we lead with questions in these conversations, but that doesn't mean we just give away all kind of what the answer is that we're that we're wanting. So here's a, a really tangible example. Imagine that you say to an accountee or a team where something's gone off the rails and you're saying, right, okay, this is what we're going to do now. So how often do you think we should check in? And they might say, oh, next month. And you're like, no way. There's no way we can leave that you for this long. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you say, well, let's check in at the end of this week and then at the end of next week and then let's see how we're going from there. And so you're not just letting go of the agenda of where the accountability goes, but you are asking the question first. And the reason for this is by asking the question first, as a leader, you get to see if there's a knowledge gap in them understanding what the expectations were, what the time frame was. And then you get to ask questions around, oh, it's interesting that you think that that was our deadline because I was pretty clear that it was this. So how has that happened so you get to get this broader perspective on what's actually going on with accountability with that individual or in your team. I'd scribble down a follow-up question here to ask you about a structure you might suggest for that conversation, but you just gave it to us with those kind of examples of questions you asked. And the other thing I was thinking, you know, going back to our leader who wants to make the change was like so many things that exist within the space of leadership and communication, you know, the easiest thing is to be honest. And and if you were to start this and 
do this for the first time with a team that has been sliding along without being held accountable ever, and it's deep rooted in the culture, then I guess the first conversation is, hey, none of us have been very good at this. I haven't been very good as your manager at doing this. We haven't as a team been very good at doing this for ourselves. And it's had these kind of consequences. And anyone listening to this will be able to list what the consequences are in their workplace. So let's have a fresh start with this. And it's on me as much as it is on you. It's on me as your manager that we haven't been doing this. So this is a fresh start for me as well. And I think if you were to take that kind of approach and tell me what you think about that page, it would disarm some of the prickles that you might get in making a change like that. You're so right. You're absolutely on the money there because before we go into any kind of accountability coaching conversation, we need to make sure we've got what I call in the book, our own it mindset in place. And that's very clearly to do the work around what's mine to own in this? What action could I, should I, or might I have taken and what can I take now? And what can I do in the long term to make sure that this keeps making progress in the way that it needs to? And we need to go there before we then ask the question, what is it for others to own in this? What could they do to take action right now? And what is it theirs to own in terms of making sure that we have sustainable progress going forward? But um, whenever we're going into a, a conversation when we're asking others for accountability, we must do that check-in first. What's ours to own? Otherwise, there's this risk of that we're just going in pointing fingers at others without actually thinking about, well, hang on, how did I contribute to where we've got to right now? Fantastic. Now, can you believe, Paige, we are just about out of time. So we're going to get to your three nuggets of gold. Listeners to this podcast know that I always ask my guests to leave us with the three things you'd like us to remember tomorrow, next week, over the next few months about this conversation. Hit me, Paige. All right. So the first one is you've got to get clear. Like how consistent is the understanding of accountability in your team, in your organization? Clean up your language around accountability, responsibility, and ownership, and start really thinking explicitly about that accountability cascade that I spoke to earlier. You can have accountability, you can delegate responsibility, but as you do that, make clear the accountability that goes with it so that there's an accountability cascade that goes through your team. So that's my first nugget. Nice. Second one, get proactive. So shift this energy and dynamic of accountability from punitive to proactive. Set people up for success. Set yourself up for success as a leader by having coaching conversations and be these are future focused. These are about what's possible rather than punishing people for missteps or mistakes in the past that they can't do anything about. And I mentioned those coaching ladders in the book one for when you have to redirect and one from where you've got a clean sheet and you're setting them up for success from scratch. And then the third thing is, and I've called this get going. So the most powerful influence to create a culture and a context for accountability is for you as a leader to role model, role model it yourself. So I just mentioned the own it mindset. I talk more about that in the book, but owning what's yours to own and taking action on that first before inviting others to own what's theirs to own it's absolutely critical that leaders do this or the team simply won't follow. That is fabulous advice. Dr. Paige Williams, thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru podcast. That's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. A 
And that was Dr. Paige Williams. So many powerful ideas and suggestions in that chat. I enjoyed learning about the three C's of the accountability fog, and I loved Paige's nuggets of wisdom. Number one, you've got to get clear. How well understood and used is the language of accountability, especially language that understands the difference between accountability and responsibility. Number two, get proactive. Shift the energy of accountability from punitive to proactive. Set yourselves and others up for success by having future-focused coaching conversations. And number three, get going. The most powerful influence to creating a culture of accountability is for you to role model it. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Paige on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. 